This is the Benefits Buzz Podcast, your weekly pulse on what's happening in the world of employee benefits. Brought to you by your friends at WEX, who believe in simplifying benefits for everyone. Now listen up, and let's get buzzed! hey Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Benefits Buzz. We are Season 4, Episode 3. I'm your host, Eric Piella, joined as always by my co-host, Kelsey Bergad. Welcome! Hey, I am so excited for this week, Eric, because we teamed up with Benefits Pro and we might be taking a little bit of a shortcut. You're not going to get to hear Eric and I throughout this episode, but we have a couple of our leaders on the WEX team, Jeff Bakke and Jason Cook, and they have an awesome topic to talk to us about this week. It was actually a webinar that we're converting into a podcast, so you guys get to experience the webinar um, a few weeks later. So we're excited to share how HSAs can be used for retirement. I know you're going to miss our friendly banter and my my horrible dad jokes, but I, I know I know that Jeff Bakke and Jason Cook uh, bring a fantastic uh, presentation. So sit back, grab some popcorn, enjoy the podcast. You know, HSAs are just a cornerstone product. <clears throat> Hopefully everyone on this call knows that HSAs are a great way to plan for healthcare expenses in the near term. I think the familiarity and the, and the, uh, the age of flexible spending accounts did a lot to help new HSA account holders use them as a spending account, but also created a lot of confusion and misunderstanding, especially when it comes to the value of these accounts as a retirement product where they're just exceptional. After about just over 15 years now in existence, there are now more than 30 million HSA account holders in the market today. Many of you on this call may have one or at least know people that have one. Uh, pretty much everyone who has an HSA today knows that they can use it for healthcare expenses, including over-the-counter drugs, dental, vision, et cetera. I think that's pretty well understood and well known. What they don't know, and the reason that we're here today, is that health savings accounts are really one of the very best retirement strategies out there. A lot of Americans think about their 401k and imagine using it to retire, you know, on some private beach somewhere, uh, some beautiful home on a lake. But what the future actually holds for a 65-year-old married couple is over $300,000 of healthcare expenses during retirement. And the vast majority of people today are unprepared for that reality. So what are employees talking about in 2021? twice as stressed about their finances as they are their jobs, which is interesting in a period of pretty high unemployment. Half of those say that they have missed work because of financial stress. 82% of employees understand that medical costs will be their biggest challenge in retirement, and yet only 8 to 10% are focused on long-term savings for it in their health savings account. Almost two-thirds of members prioritize their 401k over their HSA, likely because they just don't know that they can get all of the 401k benefits and use it for healthcare expenses with no penalty or tax, either before or after they retire. And even those that have no financial worries today are just very often not setting aside any money for their own future healthcare needs. So we're here to ask you to get the word out about that. Uh, Some financially savvy individuals have figured it out and that's why you know, just over 15 years in, there's about $90 billion in assets. Uh, it's also why investments in WEX HSAs grew 57% last year. We're very excited about that. EBRI late last year asked employers, what were they going to be thinking about and working on in 2021? Employers know that employee financial stress is impacting performance. Uh, 
Um, they had two things. They had paying for health care and they had preparing for retirement. There is only one benefit product that actually does both of those things, and that's a health savings account. If you're an employer and your employees don't know about this, they are frankly just missing out. Today, many people that have the means to set aside money in their HSA simply just do not know that they can. And along with education, we're investing very heavily in engagement with employees and other things to help to get these messages out at the right time in the right place. Um, very interesting, our, our data science and product teams have definitively debunked the myth that exists in the world today that we're comprised entirely of two types of people that have an HSA, spenders and savers. The fact is, and we've proven this, there are seven types of HSA account holders, and employees move between these segments over time, sometimes even multiple times per year. So it's a, it's a very complex subject and a very complicated message to get to those consumers and employees so that they understand these things. Here are some of the more tax-advantaged retirement vehicles that are available to all consumers. Uh, while most of you have at least one of these accounts and know all about these accounts, hopefully, this will help set up the discussion around the HSA that, that Jason's going to kick off in just a moment. Most of us would tell our family and our friends that uh, they were making a huge mistake by not taking advantage of the tax savings and matching elements of 401ks. You might, you might have a young colleague or uh, a nephew or whatever it might be that's asking you about a 401k, and I'm quite sure that everyone on this call would say, of course, you're going to put money in your 401k. It is a smart move. It's a tax advantage vehicle. Um, there are lots of benefits to 401ks. Uh, would you shame someone for not maxing out their HSA or not contributing heavily for their HSA, and yet there are better advantages here, right? We hear this much less. The HSAs have the same discipline and dollar cost averaging benefits through payroll deduction, just like 401k. Um, but unlike all three of these other um, tax advantage retirement accounts, both the money going in is pre-tax as well as the money coming out, as long as it's used for health care, is not taxed. And, of course, all the growth in between those times is untaxed. Um, this makes it the superior product uh, significantly. Uh, there really are uh, no other products that are like this. Um, you know, we think about the two retirement benefit accounts, uh, the tax-free contributions, only pay taxes at withdrawal. Those are funded with after-tax contributions and grow tax-free. Uh, an individual's employment status, income level, economic outlook, all these factors really determine what the best solutions are from among these accounts and, of course, what investments that they're interested in investing in. But again, there is only one product, the, the HSA, that accepts pre-tax contributions and tax-free withdrawals in retirement. To open an, L an HSA, of course, you need to be an HSA-qualified health plan. <clears throat> this used to be a scary thing. Um, in fact, the health plan industry loves to call these high-deductible health plans. Uh, uh, only a health plan would name a product like this after its worst feature, the high-deductible. Uh, however, they're less expensive plans, and they do set you up for this incredible uh, retirement advantage. So employers you know, have this really important role here in accelerating this employee knowledge because simply enrolling in the account isn't enough. We know that. Uh, just getting an account 
even funding the account by the employer gets people started. But it's when your employee base is contributing and connecting to the HSA benefit that you have a great opportunity to get them much more engaged, both in their retirement planning and be better prepared for healthcare decisions because they know that these things are fungible. So in a second, you're going to see how meaningful these tax advantages are when Jason looks at the financial comparisons. But Lassie, I, I really want you to think about the tax-free money people earn in HSAs as creating free health care for the future. I know it's kind of a weird concept, but last year, Wex-powered Wex HSAs generated almost $1 billion in future health care money simply through market gains in these accounts. So by tapping into the benefits of growth in the market year over year in the stock market by investing in these accounts, we can actually together create a lot of healthcare dollars for the future. And I can tell you, we all know Americans need it significantly. So with that, I'm gonna pass it over to my friend, Jason Cook, to talk more deeply about HSAs. Okay, thank you, Jeff. And so let's dive into some long-term HSA savings. And what we're looking at here looks like a fairly simple chart that demonstrates the accumulation of wealth for qualified medical expenses across an HSA, a 401k, and a Roth IRA. But before we talk about the chart and Jane's story on the left, let me take a few minutes to talk about the underlying data, because what looks simple and straightforward with this chart is, is really anything but simple and straightforward. It's, it's actually fairly complex. And the chart was inspired from a 2016 research paper published by a guy named Greg Giesler. Now, not many in our industry are familiar with Greg Giesler, but he is a PhD uh, and in 2016 was an associate professor of accounting at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And the paper focused on activities that consumers could and should take to maximize wealth using after-tax future value models. Now, using these after-tax future value models, we're taking into account pre-tax contributions to an HSA and 401k, after-tax contributions to the Roth IRA. Uh, we're factoring in a before-tax rate of return on investments, along with the employee's investment time frame, marginal federal and state income tax rates at the time of contribution, and tax rates when funds are distributed in retirement. And finally, the FICA tax savings that HSAs benefit from when funds are contributed through pre-tax payroll contributions. So that's a lot. I mean, that's some heavy stuff. So I hope I didn't lose anybody just yet. So hang with me a bit because, you know, Giesler's work really looked at all aspects of building wealth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Things like contributing to various retirement accounts, HSAs, 529 plans, paying off high interest debt, but all the things that mathematically make sense to someone who has a PhD in accounting. And, you know, I really wanted to understand the complexity of these models because it's relevant to what we do on a daily basis and it's relevant to the retirement story that HSAs are beginning to tell. But, you know, for, you know, the average American consumer that's not living in the benefits world every day, it's a bit overwhelming. And I can tell you personally, I spent the first six years of my working career in a completely different industry. I thought about the benefits during open enrollment, and that was it. That was pretty much it. And I'd also tell you that, you know, if someone tried to sell me on the concept of HSAs, back then using after-tax future value models, my head would have been spinning. I would have been so confused. I probably would have made sure not to participate in the HSA program because of how complex they sounded. So I think the question is, why are we talking about them now? And I tell you, you know, we're talking about them now because 
we need to bridge a gap between these mathematical complexities and how workers feel about and choose their benefits, and then display the findings in a way that simply tells an employee what they should do, right? what's in their best financial interest. And we know through a study that Wex conducted with Visa that consumers make many of their benefit decisions tied to emotional feelings and not necessarily the rational benefits, right? Those decisions that mathematically make financial sense. And in some cases, in some cases, I'd say maybe even in many cases, workers make the wrong financial decision because it feels comfortable and thus it feels like the right decision. So, you know, how, how do we help employees? How do we help employees make the right financial decision while making that decision feel comfortable when it comes to weaving in HSAs with the retirement story? And, you know, maybe it's associating the HSA with something that's more familiar to employees when it comes to saving for retirement. And I'm not sure who, who first used the term medical 401k to describe HSAs, but, you know, that was a buzzword that's been around for a number of years. And, you know, it, it does. It makes a connection to retirement. And it ties the HSA to the 401k, which most employees are familiar with. But to be honest, it doesn't do the health savings account justice. And in fact, it actually shortchanges the powerful advantages of an HSA by creating the perception that someone can only save tax-free dollars in an HSA similar to a 401k. And that's true. But if it were truly just like a 401k, then distributions for medical expenses would be taxed as income from an HSA, which we know they are not. So you know, the health savings account is really a combination of all of the benefits of a 401k plus all of the benefits of a Roth IRA into one account plus one additional benefit. And that's the 7.65% FICA tax savings that most American consumers realize when contributing pre-tax dollars to an HSA. And so for, for 2021, the Social Security wage base increased to 142500 or excuse me, $142,800. And that means that anybody earning less than $142,800 will get the full benefit of the FICA savings when contributing pre-tax dollars to an HSA. And, you know, to put that in perspective, 82% of American households are earning less than $150,000 a year. So the point is the FICA savings is extremely impactful to most employees in the workforce. But again, here we are. We're, again, we're getting in the weeds of complexity. And do, do you know, employees actually understand this? So how can we maybe think about FICA savings differently so that it's relevant for workers? And I think the question is, you know, do employees actually pay attention to FICA savings? I, I don't know. And I don't know what the percentage of employees that actually take into account FICA savings when making benefits decisions. But I'd argue the, you know, the answer is probably a very low percentage. Now, do workers understand what a rate of return is? And I'd argue that many do understand what a rate of return means through having savings accounts, checking accounts, CDs, 401ks, 403Bs, 529 plans, among other savings vehicles. So if employees understand rate of return, let's translate that 7.65% FICA tax savings into an immediate 7.65% rate of return when payroll contributions flow to an HSA over a 401k or Roth IRA. And that's, you know, a 7.65% rate of return with zero risk, because think about this, the HSA dollars are going into the cash component of the HSA, which is FDIC insured. Now let's think about that for a moment, because we're all consumers on this call, and we all have checking accounts and savings accounts. 
if some online bank out there was promoting a 7.65% interest rate on their savings account today, in this extraordinarily low interest rate environment, who would open an account? And I know, I know everyone's on mute, so we can't hear everyone scream out, I would, but I certainly would. I mean, 765 basis points or, or 7.65%, that interest rate on a savings account today in this environment, I think I'm getting 0.08% or eight basis points on my savings account today. So framing up tax savings as a rate of return could be a very relatable and well-received you know, message by employees. So back to this question, how do we simply communicate to employees you know, that the HSA is, is a better deal compared to other retirement accounts or other savings accounts? And you know, this question is the question that I kept asking myself in 2016 when I read and reread Diesel's paper. My attempted approach to answering that question was simply to run a race over time with the HSA, the 401k, and the Roth IRA using those same after-tax future value models to compare each account's spending power for qualified medical expenses in retirement. And then just display it on a chart that's easy to read. Now, if you look at the chart on the right and our hypothetical situation for where our worker, Jane Smith, can place her money to accumulate wealth, we see that all the accounts have the same starting point. And let's say Jane's 45 years old, she's married, has two dependents, and we're also assuming that there is no employer match to any of the accounts and that Jane pays for medical expenses during her working years out of pocket. Using all of these same assumptions for contribution amount, investment rate of return, Jane's tax rate during her working years, and her tax rate at the time she distributes funds for medical expenses post-65, we run this race out 20 years. And, you know, to no one's surprise, or, or maybe to everyone's surprise, the HSA wins the race. The HSA wins the race every single year. And after 20 years, Jane has a 31% increase in after-tax purchasing power for qualified medical expenses with the HSA. And the gap widens over time. So we're talking about an increase of roughly $50,000 in spending power with an HSA over the 401k. Now, all accounts generated the same 5% investment rate of return annually. So how did the HSA balance grow so much faster compared to the 401k and the Roth IRA? And I tell you, the answer is twofold. First, the HSA's rate of return is supercharged by, you guessed it, probably 7.65% because she avoids the FICA tax with payroll contributions to the HSA. And as we previously discussed, Tax savings should be thought about as, you know, a rate of return in this example because rate of return is more widely understood. Second, you know, distributions from the HSA for qualified medical expenses are tax-free, whereas, you know, they're taxed at the tail end with the 401k or upfront with the Roth IRA. Now, you might be asking yourself, is it possible for Jane to save too much in her HSA? And the answer is no. It's flat out no. And in fact, if Jane could have a million dollars in either the 401k, the Roth IRA, or the HSA, she'd be financially better off having that million dollars in the HSA, right? The, the HSA would be the better option for Jane because HSA distributions taken after 65 years of age for non-medical expenses are taxed the same way as 401k distributions, right? They're no longer subject to the 20% penalty assessed by the IRS for non-medical distributions taken before age 65. And I think we know that withdrawals from the HSA for medical expenses are not included as income 
whereas the same distributions from a 401k for medical expenses are included as income and taxed. And I think we're all going to have more than enough medical expenses uh, in retirement to, you know, never hit that, you know, that threshold. But that was just sort of an anecdote in terms of um, using HSA dollars in retirement for potentially non-medical expenses. Another question I hear quite frequently is how would the story change if the employer is contributing to a 401k, right? How would this chart look different if the employer is matching a 401k contribution that an employee has? And the story would change. And again, if all American consumers had a PhD in accounting, we'd all be able to mathematically prioritize our contributions to the right account to maximize these after-tax savings down to the penny. Um, and in some instances, you, you might actually, the math might tell you that, you know, somebody should actually forego an employer contribution. I don't think that's a good idea to communicate to the workforce. And since we're not all PhDs in accounting, broadly speaking, you know, the best way to communicate a strategy that incorporates both a 401k and an HSA when there's an employer match to the 401k is to really get that employer match first, then maximize contributions to the HSA, and finally resume funding the 401k after that, if possible. Okay, what is the employer contribution sweet spot? Employer contributions to an HSA are extremely important for engaging with employees and, and probably the single most important action that an employer can take to increase the adoption of HSAs within their program. I, I mean, by contributing to a worker's HSA, employers are really telling employees that, hey, we're in this together, that we're not just shifting costs, but rather we're sharing in the premium savings that the HSA eligible health plan affords to help our employees save, right? It's, it's a safety net. It's a supplemental contribution that, along with employee contributions, provides a jumpstart for retirement savings, or again, a financial safety net for unexpected medical expenses. Now, not all workers, you know, even with the help of employer contributions, have the financial wherewithal to you know, fully fund an HSA and pay for all medical expenses out of pocket, right? And that's okay, that's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, we're talking about saving for retirement using HSAs, but like everything else in life, it's not a straight line from point A to point B. It's a bumpy ride for most. It, it's a really bumpy ride for most that looks more like, you know, an S&P 500 or, or Dow Jones chart over time with ups and downs. But over the long run, you know, think 10, 20, 30 years, the goal is to save more than you spend, retaining assets year over year, which is really how an HSA owner grows the balance. And most workers will, will travel across the spectrum over the years, you know, where they save more in some years than others. And again, that's okay. The point is, employer contributions help workers build savings that can be used in an emergency over the short run or for expenses later in life. And, you know, it reminds me of a story that we heard from a young man that participated in, in the research project that I mentioned previously. Part of that project included eight focus groups with users of health savings accounts and non-users of HSAs in the same sessions. And our goal was to really better understand how both groups emotionally connect the benefit. You know, why do they either opt in or opt out of, of choosing an HSA? And the individual I'm thinking of was in his late 20s, uh, earning between $75,000 and $100,000 annually. Uh, he was married and at the time had no children. Now, he did not have a health savings account. And when asked why he hadn't opted for the HSA eligible health plan and the HSA, 
he said that he and his wife are extremely healthy and have virtually no medical expenses. He went on to say that he'd give the HSA a look when he and his wife have a family, because at that point, his family will have higher medical expenses. Now, if you picture this, I was between a, a one-way mirror and, and literally wanted to jump out of my seat and pound on the glass to say, you're a perfect candidate for an HSA. You know, you're overinsured with the traditional plan, and now is the perfect time for you to save for this family that you're planning for, as well as for future medical expenses. Um, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm willing to guess that during open enrollment, this person's employer presented the HSA as a way to pay for medical expenses before the plan year deductible was met. And that's true. That's 100% true, but it's, it's really, you know, only one side of the coin. And by telling half the story, this young man got the perception that the HSA was for, for spending, not for savings, and thus made it not relevant to his personal situation. And so if you change the story and talk about funding the HSA, saving HSA dollars for future medical expenses, you know, if you do that, the HSA becomes a very relevant benefit to this individual's personal situation. But because he only got half the story, he's most likely in a worse financial position than he otherwise would have been in. Now, are all employer contributions created equal? And this is probably a rhetorical question because of course they're not, right? Of course they're not. Why, you know, would I prefer my employer to fund my HSA with $500 or $1,000? You know, clearly I prefer the higher amount, but we can look at data and extract some key findings. And some of those are that higher levels of employer contribution contributions lead to higher participation levels and increased contribution amounts by employees. And we're able to see that in the data that underpins the Wexel cloud platform as the technology is powering more HSAs than any other platform in the country. And so while higher contribution amounts are, are clearly preferred by workers, we're also able to identify that employer contributions in any amount impact the adoption and success of an employer's HSA program. Now, the key is really to get employees to participate because once they're engaged with an HSA, they're most likely to stay engaged with their HSA in the future. So, you know, if you're an employer or a consultant and, and you want some ideas for how to take action to engage employees in, in health savings, you know, communicate the benefits of HSAs year round and alongside other retirement plan options. I mean, you know, one thing I like to always highlight is, is the HSA is a lifetime account. It's, it's not a plan your decision like major medical plans and flexible spending accounts. Next, you know, set a good example by sharing that premium savings through funding the worker's account. You know, we talked about the importance of the employer contributions, you know, sharing that, that savings and emphasize retirement diversification. And just to get a little bit deeper with this, because we all hear about investment diversification and think of having you know, a well-balanced investment portfolio that's risk appropriate for someone's age. This is a little different in, in that we're saying, help employees understand where to put that next pre-tax dollar in the most tax efficient way to build long-term savings. And let me say it again, I guess maybe a little slower, but help employees understand where to put that next pre-tax dollar in the most tax efficient way to build long-term savings. And again, translating that into a rate of return it's more relatable for the employee. And then you have one bucket for medical expenses, the HSA, and you have one for living expenses, the 401k. And then communicate 
you know, how employees should use them together uh, to help build wealth. And we know over time, as, you know, the longer the accounts have been opened, um, the overall ecosystem is retaining assets year over year, which is a good thing. On to five ideas to share with employees when thinking about communicating a holistic retirement plan strategy. Again, uh, take advantage of employer contributions if you're not already. Uh, and if you are funding employee accounts through either a lump sum contribution or a prorated contribution throughout the year, maybe consider a matching contribution, right? A matching contribution strategy creates the perception that, you know, there's money on the table similar to a 401k match and employees know it's in their best interest to give themselves a raise by grabbing that free money. And I, I always think about, you know, my father's comments when I graduated college 20 years ago. And, you know, man, if he didn't beat it in my head that when I'm eligible to contribute to my employer's 401k plan, I better contribute at least enough to get the match. And if I didn't, I was being irresponsible. Quite frankly, I'd be an idiot because I'd be leaving money on the table. So what did I do? First chance in you know, in 2001, when I had the opportunity to enroll in the 401k plan, I opened the 401k and elected to contribute just enough to get the match. Pretty much so I could just keep them off my back, but, and, and I could just tell them I did it. But I think the point is, you know, maybe we should start, start thinking about HSAs in the same way when it comes to matching contributions. Now, I'll speak to numbers two and three together here. Max out HSA contributions and max out additional retirement accounts. And, and you're probably thinking easier said than done, right? I mean, this is, this is a best practice for the highest income employees because account prioritization is less of a concern. Meaning, you know, those highest earners on a family plan, a family health plan, will fund their 401k with 19,500 this year and their HSA with 7,200, plus any catch-up contributions if they have any. And it doesn't matter which order they fund the accounts. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, that's not the reality for most American consumers. Most workers, and for most workers, it really comes down to monthly cash flow. How much money is direct deposited into my checking account on a monthly basis so that I can pay my rent, pay my mortgage if I have one, buy groceries, have money left over for other living expenses? You know, these are the employees that need a strategy that allows them to keep monthly cash flow at you know, comfortable levels while pushing that next pre-tax dollar to the most tax-efficient bucket. And again, that's up to the employer match in the 401k, if there is one, and to the HSA after that, and then saving those dollars. Of course, we can't forget about investing HSA funds. And depending on the market surveyor, you know, roughly 5 to 7% of the 30 million or so HSAs open today are actively investing HSA dollars. And that's just not enough. I mean, and as an industry, we really need to continue to push HSA investments as a long-term strategy for, for building wealth. I mean, think about dollar cost averaging in HSA, similar to a 401k, to a provider that has automatic sweep functionality that, you know, moves money from the cash component to investments on a regular basis. I mean, that takes the emotion out of investing and prevents employees from potentially buying high, you know, getting scared and then selling low, right? I think something that really played out in 2020 when, you know, the market crashed early in the year only to return to record highs months later. 
And, and then finally, you know, pay out of pocket when possible. And, and this is an extremely important point to communicate. You know, many employees do not realize that, you know, when they pay out of pocket today, they're actually building retirement savings because they are, in fact, eligible to reimburse themselves from the, their HSA at any point in the future for that expense. So not only is the worker building up retirement savings when paying out of pocket, they're also building a nest egg for any sort of unforeseen expenses that may occur over the short run. Sort of that, you know, retirement slash emergency savings account, if you want to think of it that way. Now, to wrap this section, you know, I'll, I'll end with, with saying that, you know, building awareness around all of these options, they're all incredibly important because you know, no two employees are in the same financial situation or life stage, right? Workers need to know all of their options uh, so that they're able to make the best financial decision for themselves and their families. Wax is in the business of simplifying benefits for everyone. Now, although we certainly hope our podcast sparks some aha moments, like that was pretty cool, but of course we cannot provide legal investment or financial advice. And well, therefore, nothing shared in this podcast should be interpreted as such. We encourage you to seek out appropriate professional advice regarding your plans. Hey, congratulations. You made it through our disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks for listening.